Welcome to Creation.com Talk. I am Dr. Robert Carter. I'm sitting here with my good friend, Joel Tay. We are continuing a fascinating series of discussions on how God engineered living things to change over time. This is paralleling a three-part article series on Creation.com, Species Were Designed to Change. You can look in the show notes and the links below for that. So yes. this is the third in the series um, of episodes we have done okay. looking at how creatures are designed to change. In the first part, we look at three myths that people have about um, change over time. So the first is that God create creatures the way that we see them today. Yeah. Idea called species fixity or fixity of species. Yes. We don't believe that. Okay. okay we sh- second one is that we show that some people have this idea that creatures were created where they are found today. Yeah. Charles Darwin was fighting against that idea in the 1800s. Very popular. Not biblical. Yes. Of course, if things spread out from Noah's Ark, the way they are today is not where they were before. Yes. Right, what was the third one? The third one is that we many people assume that at the beginning of creation, God only created two of every kind of creature. Yeah, he certainly created more than two E. coli and two oak trees. That's right. Probably more than two elephants. Yes. Okay. Then the second part, we look at how God has designed the genome with lots of diversity, how it can generate new diversity yeah. as well. Like pre-engineered adaptation or adaptability built into the genomes of living things. Very important concept for creation because now all of a sudden we're talking about all these things that Charles Darwin and Darwin has since him have discussed. All oh, these things are changing. Well, that's part of the creation model also. Yes, so okay. there's a lot of created diversity even within each created kind. All right, do we have to define created kind for the audience? The audience, you know what a created kind is? A baramin? The created kind. What's that? You want to describe it for him? Okay, so created kind is the, um, the Bible says that God create creatures to reproduce after their own kind. Okay. But interestingly, the Bible doesn't say how many kinds he created. It doesn't say how much diversity within each kind. It doesn't say how many were, how many individuals were in each kind. So we have a lot of area of exploration, a lot of flexibility in the creation model. Okay. So, for example, the dog kind, you can have lots of different individual dogs within that created kind with a lot more diversity than you can have in just two individuals. Yes, we see differences in size and shape and behavior and coat color, which is something we'll be talking about a little bit later. So, Rob, we are going to look at even more ways that our genome is designed, engineered. Engineered. To generate new diversity. Okay. So, why is that important? One reason it's important to understand how much capacity life has for changing over time is so we can understand God's mind, so we can fight against evolutionary theory, mm-hmm. so we can have a better understanding of what living things are. Yes, um, we don't have right. you know, the 1700s view, the 1800s view of this lack of understanding of what's inside living things. Mm-hmm. They're a lot more adaptable, a lot more morphable than we really thought 100, 200 years ago. That, that's right. And one of the ways that we can actually generate new diversity is by mutations. Boom. Yes. And we need to define what a mutation is, right? Our DNA uh, contains information and it's written in um, a series of letters. Okay. And so a mutation is just like a copy mistake. So imagine if you have a book with lots of letters in there, giving you information, a story and things like that, and you make a typo in there. Mm-hmm. That's essentially a mutation. And the idea here is that Copy mistakes can actually generate new diversity. Okay, so as organisms are reproducing, their DNA is being copied, mm-hmm. being passed on to the offspring. But when the copying happens, some mistakes are made. Yes. And if a mistake is made in certain parts, it can change the look or the behavior of the organism. That's right. Okay, my favorite example to use is coat color. 
Mm-hmm. One of the most highly variable genes in the animal world are the genes that affect our, our coloration. Color. I mean, you and I don't have the same coloration. Mm-hmm. You have a different, maybe it's OCR1 gene than I do, or uh, there's a bunch of other genes that affect uh, skin color, hair color, eye color. Mm-hmm. But those are highly mutable genes. Yes. And we see the same mutations appearing in all sorts of different species. That's why you have black labs, chocolate labs, reddish labs, and white labs, mm-hmm. Labrador retrievers, that is. Yes. It's the same mutations that happen in cats and horses and even people. And a lot of this come about by mutations. Yes. But, but wait, Rob, you know, when I say mutations, you know, many creationists think mutations is copy mystic, so it's always harmful. But that's not the case. It's right? not the case, not at all. In fact, when God engineered living things, when he, cre- when he wrote out those genomes, a computer code that is the genomes of all these living things, mm-hmm. he knew what mutations were more possible and less possible, more probable and less probable. Mm-hmm. And so when he put an A in a location, he said, huh, if I had put a C there instead, well, that C is more likely to mutate to a T than that A would mutate to a G. Mm-hmm. So by putting an A there, he's preventing mutation from happening. Yes. But if he puts a C there, he's allowing mutation to happen. And he knew, I mean, our God knows the future. He knew when he wrote out those genomes how oxygen and water were going to, and, and the little machines that copy DNA were going to mutate the DNA over time. Mm-hmm. And so he wrote adaptability into the genome. Yes, I think you must, we must remember that the Bible presents God as someone who is all-knowing. Yes. So the fall did not take God by surprise. It did not. Yeah, and mutations did not take God by no, surprise. he knows the laws of chemistry and physics and probability. He's God. Yes. And he... he Knowing that when he wrote out those genomes, he put that thought into those genomes. Yes. So in other words, that when we look at mutations, even though they are um, a symbol of the curse of the fall, we also see engineering principles in there. We see design in the lots, way. Lots of design. Yeah. Um, can you give some example, like repair mechanisms? What, what are those? Uh, one example of design in the genome is called redundancy. Mm-hmm. Uh, engineering. Redundancy is really important in a lot of engineering. When you build a bridge... You don't build a bridge to hold up the number of cars you expect to drive on the bridge. Mm-hmm. You build it 10 times stronger than the number of cars you expect to be driving over the bridge. So in a sense, it's over-engineered. Yeah, you over-engineer it. You over-design it. You add robustness to it. And that presents it, prevents it from falling apart. And over-design or over-engineering fits the creation model better than the evolution. Absolutely idea. fits it better. Because why would evolution ever, ever over-engineer something? Mm-hmm. It's going to find... If it happens at all, if it's even possible, it would find the first solution to a problem. The most efficient way. No, the easiest to find. It might not be efficient. It's just, it works. I see. Okay. But see, that's not redundancy. That's over design. Okay. So what's the difference? Um, Redundancy deals more with having more than one thing. So if one thing breaks, you have a backup copy. Like when they used to launch a space shuttle, they had three computers Mm. so that as, as it's launching, if one of the computers breaks, they still have a backup copy and a backup to the backup. Mm. Now, you don't have three wings. You don't have you know, three sets of tiles on it. So there are failing points. But any place they could duplicate something, they did. Because redundancy enhances survival when things go wrong. Mm-hmm. And in living things, we see duplicated genes. Mm-hmm. We see many copies of the same gene in lots of different organisms, which means if one breaks, you still have a backup copy. Yes. In fact, in sexually reproducing organisms, plants, people, a um, lot of other things in between, we have two copies of our genomes. Yes, that's right. 
And that is critically, if we only had one copy of our genome, humans would probably be extinct already. Mm-hmm. There are so many mutations floating around in our population. Now, they're rare mutations, but if you only had one copy of the genome, you carry that gene, you've got that mutation. Mm-hmm. But because we have two copies, more, more often than not, the mutant is a recessive variant. And the regular, old, originally designed, uh, God-made gene can take care of whatever mutation might have happened on the other copy, mm-hmm. which helps us survive. Redundancy is critical. Overdesign is critical. Robustness is critical. Or life would just die quickly. So the fact that we see this support sequential model, mutations being engineered. Yeah, mutations are engineered. Another thing about mutations is that we no, now no, no, understand... Sorry, sorry. Sorry. The probability of certain mutations happening was pre-engineered, pre-designed, written into the design specs. Mm-hmm. That this is what can happen over time. And that's interesting because it also tells me that mutations may, are not random. That's what you're actually saying. They're, they're random, but they're not. Mm-hmm. Chemistry is random. Okay. And water attacks DNA all over the place. Oxygen attacks DNA all over the place. DNA can snap and break. But there are places DNA that's t- that twisted more tightly or folded and bend, and there's places that can break more often than others. Mm-hmm. That's part of the code that God wrote. When he wrote out that 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 code, he knew how the DNA was going to fold and which places could break easier than others. Mm-hmm. But it's more or less random. We can treat it as random in most ways. So Rob, the next thing is epigenetics. That's Ooh, a big word. That's a huge word. Yes. Yeah, epigenetics. It's um, adaptability, a physiological adaptation. To the environment? Yeah. That mm-hmm. when, the envir- when an organism is going through the environment, Yes. It can turn genes on or turn genes off depending on what it needs to make the environment, to, mm. to fit into the environment. That's called epigenetics. There's so, no genetic change, mm-hmm. but there's, genet- there's, no, say, there's no change in the DNA, but there's a change in the activity of the genes. Epigenetics. Epi means above or upon. So it's a level of genetics above the DNA. So a way to, to express this is to tell people that in the DNA, we have the same letters, but it's kind of like a switchboard where you have switches that go on and off depending on the environment yeah. so that you can adapt to different situations. And epigenetic changes are designed to change the organism, to make a so-called phenotypic. That's the way the organism looks or behaves. Mm. They're designed that way. There are switches in our genomes and genomes of other living things that create changes. Mm-hmm. It's not mutation. Okay. Mutations may or may not cause a change. In fact, most mutations hardly do anything, but epigenetic changes definitely do something. Mm-hmm. They're there on purpose. And so a lot of the examples of natural selection we've seen in the evolutionary literature, we've found out is just epigenetic change. So early on, I said that in epigenetics, it switches that go on and off, and that allows us to adapt. And when we talk about that, we... we Talk about methylation. That's another big word. What was methylation? How does this help? There are a lot of different epigenetic changes. The DNA um, can be packed away or unpacked. It can be wound up tightly or unwound. But this, most frequently, the cell will take a carbon, CH3, a methyl group, mm-hmm. and stick it on the DNA. Yes. And if a, a DNA has methyl groups on it, the Polymerases can't slide down the DNA to make copies of it as RNA. The, the gene is turned off. Okay. There are a lot of different epigenetic pathways, okay. but they all deal with activating or deactivating genes and affecting the phenotype of the organism. Okay, and Rob, the next one is natural selection, right? 
Yes, a controversial topic within within our ranks, isn't it? Yeah, and uh, natural selection is interesting because people tend to think of natural selection as um, survival of the fetus, but natural selection is really differential reproduction. That's a big oh, word. I hate that word. Natural selection is a bad word, bad yes. phrase. Survival of the fittest is a bad, bad phrase. Yes. And differential reproduction so is horrible, <laughs> but that's the one that best describes what's happening. So, so what's this big word? It's, it's simple. Based on genetic differences within, say, just a species, mm-hmm. some organisms are going to do better in some environments than others. Yes. And the ones that do better in that environment are going to have more offspring. Yes. So over time, the genes in those organisms are going to propagate faster than the genes in the other organisms. So the change of gene frequency, is that what Yeah, it'll, it'll, it'll result in a change of gene frequency. Mm-hmm. Darwin phrased all of his examples in life or death. Yes. But that's not what we're talking about. Mm-hmm. We're talking about if an organism is a better fit to its little niche, it will reproduce faster than another organism in the same group, the same species. That's not quite as good a fit. Yes. So maybe the other one, it'll still live. It'll still have offspring, but maybe only two. Mm-hmm. But the other one maybe have 20. Mm-hmm. And because the children for the next generation are only based on what the parents can produce, the next generation will be overwhelmingly represented by some organisms, not others, in their parent population. And so we see genetic change over time because of differences in reproduction. And so natural selection is an interesting concept. And you know, we have actually covered this in previous episodes. No, we've covered it a lot. Yes. My article, Natural Selection in Paradise. Yes, I gave a talk at a Creation Super Conference, Natural Selection in Paradise. Yeah, actually, you know, um, an excellent example of this mm-hmm. is controversial. <laughs> it's the, uh, the coronavirus. Why? Because the viruses that are circulating today are the ones that are better able to escape the antibodies that people produced a year ago. Mm. Whether vaccinated or not, I'm not saying anything about vaccinations, but the original viruses that that came into the world two years ago, they weren't circulating in six months. Other ones were. Mm -hmm. And every couple of months, we have a new strain that arises and spreads around the world. Well, they are the ones that can reproduce. And the old strain became extinct. And the old strains just, they disappear, they go extinct. Either they mutated out of existence or Mm -hmm. too many people got antibodies that could fight that. And the one that comes to the fore next is one that can reproduce. It's differential reproduction. That's interesting because um, we went to a conference just a few months ago and I was, I found it interesting when they actually mentioned that the Delta strain, right? The mm-hmm. famous Delta strain went extinct in just four months. Yeah, that was a Creation Research Society conference yes. we went to at Liberty University. Yeah, Dr. Liu, who I re- uh, interviewed in Creation Magazine, a uh, professor at Liberty, gave a fascinating talk on the so-called evolution of SARS-CoV-2 over time. It was shocking and perfectly biblical and perfectly fits within the creationist model. Yes, it's wonderful. Yeah. Exciting stuff. So natural selection does work. In fact, if you're interested, like Rob mentioned, please check out the article, Natural Selection Paradise, that Rob has written. Rob, so natural selection is not evolution because it doesn't really produce new information. No, but it can act upon existing information with the caveat that new information can happen. If you have a mutation in a coat color gene, all of a sudden you have a white bear. Yes. And a white bear can survive very well in a white landscape, not very well in a forest. Mm-hmm. But that could easily be something, an example of an adaptable trait that God didn't originally create, mm-hmm. 
mm-hmm. but he created the capacity for it to arise. Yes. And when it arises, all of a sudden we have polar bears. Okay, so when we say information again, that is not the kind of information that's needed for evolution. It is not the kind of information, no. In fact, the polar bear is a broken gene. Mm-hmm. As a new phenotype, a new trait, something adaptable and selectable, but that's not an example of onwards and upwards evolution. It's actually a downward step. Exactly. Okay. So that's a good definition. Let us sum up what we look at today. Okay. So first of all, we see that God is a master engineer. So yeah. even in mutations, we see that the four do not take God by surprise and that there are design mechanisms that allow for mutations to generate um, variation and, um, in life. And it's so critical to understand too, the whole idea that God created all species that they are today, it, it's so old-fashioned, it's so ridiculous, it's so not biblical. Yes. And looking at life today, it's clear that life changes and life adapts, but God designed it that way. And over-designed it. And over-designed it that way, or else it would already be extinct. That's right. So God's design is holistic, um, and that helps us to account for you know, what each created kind would need to adapt to different environments in the future as well. Yes, within limits. Within limits. Within limits. I mean, a bear is not going to adapt into a bird. Yeah, that's, that's true. Right? But they can adapt to eating fish or berries or seals mm-hmm. or forests or deserts or ice packs. Yes. And, that's but that's, that's about the limits. And we also mentioned that God designed the genome uh, with redundancy and you define what redundancy is. And that helps us to ward off the effects of decay. Yes. And finally, and we see that God has also designed specific aspects of the genome to change true mutations. Yeah. That's amazing. It is amazing. And if we think about that, all that does is elevate God. He is the master designer, the master engineer. He understands biology. He understands probability, chemistry, and physics. And with that knowledge, he wrote that into the code for living things. You know, there's another way that species can change. If you have a a group of individuals with different phenotypes, they might behave differently. They might, if one doesn't like the environment, it can migrate somewhere else. And so you can have a gene pool that gets partitioned. Made choices. And made choices. And all of a sudden, you know, all the rabbits over there are white and all the rabbits over here are brown. And they change. Boom. The population can change because of individual choice and choosing specific sub-environments. And we see that in humans too. How do you mean? Where? Well, uh, we have made choices. People, we do have made choices, yes. Uh, people separate, they live in different places. They, yeah. um, according to languages, for example. Oh, like a Tower of Babel. Yes, and so people can separate out into different clusters, different population groups. Yeah, and, okay. Yeah, isolate so, themselves. So natural selection, epigenetics, uh, individual choice, uh, and then cultural language and geographic barriers yes, prevent right. gene flow across an entire landscape. You have little subpopulations doing different things. Yeah, it's all built into the system. So there you have it, folks. There's tons of different ways that God engineered deliberately His created things to change over time. That's just an introduction. There's so much more. We have more to cover on this topic. We're going to come back in the future, and I'm going to be introducing my four-dimensional family tree concept for the created kinds. It's one of my favorite things. Um, that I've ever written. I love talking about this and be some fun diagrams also. But stay tuned, there's a lot more coming on creation.com. Mm-hmm.